Hey guys, it's Morgan. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up that this week's episode of Womance is going to sound a little different. The sound isn't up to our usual standards, but we promise the content is still chef's kiss. Without further ado... I'm Isabel. I'm Morgan. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About barbarians. About outer space. About utopias. <laughs> about utopic lies. About AI. About space cats. About late virginity. <laughs> about uh, AI you can fuck. <laughs> Uh, about space, sex, drugs. But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week, Joannuary continues with a very special guest. Author, romance reviewer, icon, influencer, Esme Brett. You know her best as feminist romance. Welcome to the show. Kia ora, hello everyone. I need to be really clear, I didn't write that intro. That was super flattering of me, about me. Thank you. <laughs> my wow, you people say my nice thing. <laughs> super true. Can confirm. Oh my um, gosh. I'm so excited well, to talk about this book with you. Now, and to be transparent for the second time, because Isabeau and I messed up the first recording. <laughs> we did. So not only is her winged eyeliner amazing and her, her review spot on, but also she's generous of spirit listeners and time and, and has time. a very flexible schedule for us this Thank is no God. it's just an exercise in selfishness because i get to talk about this book twice now <laughs> that, is, that is two times <laughs> of warriors woman and also when we sat down about this first time was before we knew that joanna Lindsay had passed away um and like what what huge news and what a like huge loss to the romance community and i feel like you know obviously condolences to joanna's family and the only silver lining in moments like this are getting to see people pay tribute to her humongous legacy and people talking about their first novels of hers and talking about their favorite moments and it was just so clear seeing all that coverage like she's had a huge impact and you know joanne is the reason we're here exactly she's the reason for the season it's true <laughs> and it, it is so great to see people really come out and like celebrate her work and uh, yeah, it's just been wonderful. It has been. Um, for a couple of Joanna, for a, a throuple Joanna Lindsay enthusiasts <laughs> like ourselves. <laughs> so we invited you to come on this specific episode because you had been posting a lot about this cover. Mm, this I'm obsessed. Piece. I'm a fan club, fan club of a few <laughs> for this yeah. cover because I think it is high art. This deserves gallery spaces. It is my all time favorite favorite cover you know pearly scrunchy mm, yeah. gravity defying hair yes only his hair there seems to be a wind machine somewhere <laughs> in their proximity but it's only lifting his hair i do not understand why hers is obeying <laughs> the future and space works obviously yeah. i mean True. we're dealing with like 4g here i don't know what we're dealing with the last time we talked about this book you're like look at fabio's titty just hanging out and then i had the experience of having to go to the store and this book with me and the guy was like you know who that is right and I was like what yeah it's Fabio and he's like I met him in Seattle and I was like what is this world I'm living in right now what was his Fabio encounter story so in 2011 Fabio was selling a very specific 
muscle powder product at Whole Foods all around the U.S. And this gentleman at the Apple Genius Bar happened to be at the Whole Foods when he was there. And he's like, my mom loved this guy. I need to get a picture with him so that I can give it to my mom. Yeah. And he did. Did he show you the picture? <laughs> no, uh, he didn't. But drag. I know. I mean, I think he made it up. Your, your <laughs> mom at the Whole Foods. She did. I think it must have been like the same Whole Foods because she was in Seattle at the time. So. Oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. What you're telling me is that a photo with Fabio at Whole Foods is a collector's item. And there's a series <laughs> of like women across America, men too, with these Fabio Whole Foods picks. Uh, right. They didn't even buy the muscle powder that he was hawking. They're like, we're not here for that. The muscle powder is just dehydrated Sonoma chicken salad ground to a fine powder. Oh, man. That's crazy. It was. It was a very weird experience. What if you had told him, no, you didn't know who that was? I don't know what would have happened. I think he would have educated me. Do you know what it, it looks like? the genius bar. Looking at it now, it looks like the name, the author name, Joanna Lindsay, is like set on his head and his hair is wrapping around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a caress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, it's true. Okay, okay. Uh, so we should get down to brass tacks here. Do you want to read the summary? Sure. Of course you do. It has a great opener. <laughs> a passion that could conquer galaxies. In the year 2139, fearless Tedra de Air sets out to rescue her beleaguered planet Kistran from the savage rule of evil Crad Samor. Experienced in combat, but not in love. The beautiful untouched Amazon flies with. With Martha, her wisecracking free-thinking computer, to a world where warriors reign supreme, and into the arms of the one man she can never hope to vanquish. The bronzed barbarian, Chalon Lysanter, a magnificent creature of raw yet disciplined desires, the muscle-bound primitive succeeds where no puny Kistran male had before, igniting a raging fire within Tedra that must be extinguished before she can even think of saving her enslaved world. There it is, Warrior's Woman. I've read it and I was on the edge of my seat hearing you do that (laughs) description. That was some some (laughs) A-grade dramatic reading. Thank you. That was really my calling and it's so nice that I found it. I think it's important (laughs) to note that the Warrior's Woman is a possessive rather than a plural Warriors. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Did you read the dedication? I didn't read the dedication, but I think maybe you should. May I? Please. Suzanne, who said go for it, Sharon for inspiration, and Alfred for his Saabo, many, many thanks. That's great. It's like that song, that like a little bit of Monica for my something. (laughs) A little bit of Sarah for saying yes, like... Oh my gosh. So this book was published in 1990, which was also the year that Gentle Rogue was published, which is, I think, really important. The Rose of Rich. So we've been reading, like, we've been hip deep in Joanna Lindsay for a while. Yes. And I got really confident with my ability to place her books in time and be like, oh, at this point in her writership, right? And I was pretty good at it. Yeah. This throws a wrench into my theory that I'm good at this. Me too. This feels like a very 1983 movement. Why is that? Lots of reasons. which is the failure of a utopia (laughs) i think as we go through we definitely have to get a be like 80s moment um when we encounter them because there are many i feel the same way i felt like sure it was published in 1990 but i'm like this is one that just took a long time
time to write. You know how you have those things, those projects that just are stubborn and it, it <laughs> definitely has the feeling of it took a few years or something. I mean, the whole world building is really complex. That would take me, you know, decades. <laughs> so <laughs> if it took like a bit longer to write, that makes sense to me. That, actually, yeah, that does make a lot of sense to me that she would have started quite a while back. And I wonder if she had like many books going mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm. I wonder what her, yeah, I wonder what her process was. There's it not a lot about like, it on the internet. No, and she's super, she was obviously super prolific and putting out a lot of books. And mm-hmm. even writers you see now on, on their like publishing schedules in traditional houses, working on things and having to market the old thing that they would have literally touched a year ago. <laughs> um, yeah. And then coming back into that world. So, yeah, I definitely think there's probably a lot of overlap and a lot of distance in that timeline. Yeah. I guess. I'm guessing. I think that's a really good guess, actually, because I think that's one of the things that we really discovered with reading all of her books over the course of these last few weeks is that she really allowed herself to grow as a writer, which I think is a special about the genre, but also mm-hmm. special about Johanna Lindsay, where it's like a lot of people, I think, would accuse her of being like a one trick pony. But really, she gets really complicated and deals with like different kinds of issues as she comes to different kinds Mm. of novels and so when I saw the published date on this one I was like that feels weird though (laughs) yeah it does so she published this the same year as Gentle Rogue yeah busy lady busy lady Mm. where do we start the year it's set is 21 39 39 which doesn't seem like that far (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem that crazy. I know it's like a, a while, but it doesn't seem super far. Yeah, no, it it's doesn't. like the 200th anniversary of World War II breaking out. Yeah. Do you think that was intentional? Whoa. She does love her battles. Joanna Lindsay loves war. War. <laughs> and uh, warriors. Yep. Go figure. And they're women. <laughs> she loves I'm glad swords. you. Yeah, and swords and fabia. Um, her Pinterest board is just all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> this novel is such a flex. There's yeah, so much yeah. happening. It's such a complex world. It's really enjoyable. I really enjoyed the world. I'm glad you pointed out the uh, possessive apostrophe in the title because I feel like that's such a great indicator of exactly what I loved and did not love about this book. It kind of can all be summarized by that damn possessive apostrophe. So true. Grammar matters. You know, I was reading the Goodreads reviews before we started recording and one of the things that I found really striking, there were two kinds of reviews. There was a really like a a four out of five star or there was like a one star. Bizarrely, there was a two two-star review that just said no. (laughs) Which is like, wait, how did it get the extra star, though? I've got so many (laughs) questions about that. I know. But people being like, it's fun. Just let it be fun. Just let it be dumb. Four stars. And people being like, this is the most offensive thing I've ever read. (laughs) I can't believe that this was published. I understand its context, but I still hate it. One star. Mm, mm. When I'm reviewing, that is always front of mind is when it was written. It seems to me like taking barrel shots sometimes if you're pulling out a really old book. Exactly. And then saying it doesn't meet my today's standards. Mm -hmm. That does feel like a barrel shot. 
so I try not to do that. But I also don't really read that much older romance because I know I won't like them. And it's like, <laughs> you get a lot from the summary. You know, I would be able to tell from a summary whether I want to read it or not. That summary, I'm like, okay, there's going to be things in here that I don't agree with. That phrase <laughs> of like muscle browned primitive, I'd be like, mm, okay, that yeah. tells me a yeah. lot about where we're going with this. Yeah. <laughs> um, primitive, I... what a loaded word. It does say on the tin what you're getting. True, it does. Yeah. Raw yet disciplined desires kind of implies not asinine without a lot of consensual conversation beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, load of language. Puny. Puny Kistrin male. Ugh. Yeah. So maybe we should start with the world then, right? And like mm-hmm. investigate both of our main characters through the world that they inhabit. Right. Mm-hmm. So Tidra, our heroine, is from a planet called Kistrin, which is, at least in her framing, a pretty advanced society. They do world travel, finding different planets. They are a completely dead planet. Natural resources are super rare. Everything's that's been, why they travel so much. Right. Everything's been desertified. Yep. You're required to lose your virginity by age 25. If you don't have a sex partner, a regular sex partner, you have to go to the sex partner department store. The uh, clinics. The clinics where you will be relieved of that. But you also have the option of purchasing a very expensive android that looks exactly like your perfect fantasy. Our hair actually has one but it's just to hug her maybe that's the reason for that two star no god damn it she had a sex bot just for hugging get out of here tedra (laughs) tedra what a waste of imagination in space my imagining was the person was like love the hug android hated everything else (laughs) no matter what that review was of i'd probably read it that's dripping the mystery so that's Tedra de R's world and she's like a police person hyper competent uh, basically you. god what's the mom in Terminator I feel like such a bad nerd right now Sarah yeah Sarah Connor Sarah Connor yeah. so she's like buff she's like ready to take oh. yeah exactly you know what I'm talking about yeah um, 80s moment that. 80s moment with her buffness because I specifically highlighted the line that there was a description of her being like strength was there without the bulge and I was yeah. like 80s moment 80s moment that is a Jane Fonda-esque review of like you must be strong but you can't look at 80s moment (laughs) oh my gosh that's also with that woman who was Gwyneth Paltrow's personal trainer she would say don't use a free weight use a can of soup because a woman shouldn't have to lift anything heavier than a can of soup or her child oh my god and I was like or her vagina candle apparently (laughs) (laughs) I'm not taking anything that Gwyneth Paltrow's people say seriously six times stronger than your bicep. At least you should be able to tell that your bicep is as strong as your vagina. They should be equally (laughs) secretive. Oh my god, you've unlocked the secret. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, 80s moment. So she's competent, she's supple and strong, but not too buff. She's really beautiful. She's also a late virgin in terms of her time period. almost 25. It's about time that she gets and here's where the utopia starts to break. Breached. Oh. 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 Ah. 
Denomination. <laughs> that that is the most heinous word <laughs> used in the novel. And I know, I know, there is some competition there, but I really <laughs> think that's the word that every time I read it, I got the shudders. And it comes up a lot. So much. People can't quit talking to Tidra about her breaching. Yeah, and the fact that it's like both a noun and a verb, and like the way in which it used to describe that way, it's like, boy, I don't. I mean, whales breach, and maybe that's where we should leave it. You know. Babies <laughs> breach. Yeah, they come out breach. I just like, oh Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, it's heinous. It is really, it's terrible. So the fact that like there's this societal move to enforce sexualization regardless of consent is mm-hmm. like the beginning of the rupture of the utopia as you say yeah well it's like state sanctioned like mind control basically like they have this because they think people will get too aggressive without a sexual outlet we start off being like wow she's so empowered and then we're like this is a world built by incels yes yeah mm. except it's not their mom and then it's a world taken yeah. over by incels who then hire a bunch of like jockey dudes to enforce their incel future. So a guy loses the presidential election on Uh this planet and he hires a bunch of mercenaries from a more air quotes primitive planet Mm -hmm. to come and be his muscle as he does a hostile takeover in exchange for the women on planet Kistrin. Who are all strong yet supple. Yeah. And so Tedra, with the help of her kind of refreshing heterosexual platonic friend, mm-hmm. escapes the planet to drift in space with her super sentient supercomputer and her hug robot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's floating in space when she comes across our hero's planet, Chaka-On. Mm-hmm. Like Chaka-Con. Right, Chaka-On. Mm-hmm. I used to live next to Chaka-Con Way. That's amazing. Okay, so she arrives at Chaka-Con. Chaka-On. Yeah, all right. Chaka-On. They're all made up words. I know we just had that conversation. <laughs> These are all made up words. Right, so the Chaka-On planet is made up entirely of warriors who don't have space travel. All of the women are enslaved and have to be so when Tedra shows up, she's like, this is going to be great. I'm going to get all of these warriors. They're going to help me. And she has this amazing fight with Shallon, where she, in her very capable way, almost bests him, but then doesn't. And Martha, her incredibly capable and useless AI, refuses to help her. And then she's abducted and taken by Shallon. Because you need this, girlfriend. You need to get laid. <laughs> hey, kiddo. I'm Martha the supercomputer. She also reprogram the hug robot to be more sexually aggressive, which is pretty fucked up. All of Martha's flexes were really strange. It's supposedly the supercomputer, but for some inexplicable reason, the thing that it cares the most about is whether Tedra gets some or not, which is just like a weird fixation. Again, I think it's an 80s moment because it's just reinforcing that thing that your friends in these novels exist for your life. And she's a computer, but she's playing the role of that friend who's like, yes, get yours, girl. Get that. You're sexy, best friend. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not just Martha who's obsessed with her virginity. It's also the state Mm -hmm. of Kistrin. It's also her platonic male friend, Rourke. Mm -hmm. It's her robot. He's very invested in it. He feels underutilized. (laughs) He is a walking, talking dildo man. (laughs) He can't fulfill his 
purpose. Yeah. Yeah. At least his motivation is programmed. I don't know what Martha's up to. Exactly. So everything about that felt sort of of a kind. And then we show up on this crazy barbarian planet. Virginity is highly prized. Go figure. Um, One thing we all have in common. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those moments where I want to go, wah, wah, patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, challenge everything that you expect a barbarian Arnold Schwarzenegger a la 1986 Conan the Barbarian to be. He's not wearing a shirt. He has fawn britches. He's very good at fighting. Obvious black leather breeches on here. Yeah, and she like doesn't wear his color when she goes out in public and like almost gets stoned to death. Yeah, taken. So I do want to point out you were editorializing slightly whenever you said all women are slaves on this planet because officially wives, mothers, and girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> distinction to draw there. <laughs> and uh, wards of the state, as it were, they're under the protection of men. Someone who was recently entered into a government-approved legal partnership. I'm not married. I'm just on his health insurance now. (laughs) Good for you. I get it because now he does get to tell me what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Your bodily protection is in his purview. It's true. If we break up, I will lose health insurance. Isn't that wild? 2020 United States. Like being on his health insurance cut my costs in half. That's crazy. Do you have nationalized health insurance? Uh, we have a public health care system. So health insurance is only if you want to get real fancy stuff done or you want to skip lines or have better facilities, whereas like everything in general is free. Cool. <laughs> I like how you were like, uh, we have health insurance. It's just for fancy stuff. <laughs> What's fancy stuff? That might not have been a good explanation at all. The private health care system is not something I have any experience with because I do the public free one. It's just like fancier hospitals and you can not as long lines if you pay lots of money for operations and procedures and stuff. And also like things that aren't covered, like cosmetic surgery is not covered and non-essential stuff isn't covered. Oh, same here, except we pay for all of it. Uh, <laughs> right. So we too very much understand <laughs> the plight of the women. Do you want to hear something crazy I heard on the news this morning? Sure. They were talking about hospitals. So certain states can make the call to take infants off of life support. In certain states, it has to be the parents' consent. And so they talked with this mother who had health insurance, but her child was on life support for like a year, maybe? A year. And came out of life support, is doing okay. But do you want to guess how much her insurance was billed for for a year of life support? How much? $46 million. What? Like, it's very messed up over here. Yeah. <laughs> It's very messed up. I got a blood test to find out I was allergic to foods, and my insurance got billed $20,000. Oh, Uh, my God. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like, (laughs) the trauma of your infant on life support, let's bill you for that exquisite fucking trauma. Whoa. Yeah. Well, and it's also, like, the idea that, like, a medical company can set a price for keeping your child alive, and they're like, $46 million. $46 million. It's all made up anyway. It's, like, the whole thing. Yeah. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> lives in the post-apocalyptic world? Is it Tidra and everyone living in the United States? Talon, or is it us? It's us. It's us. Oh, this is straight to power. Yeah, I'm now getting like handmade <laughs> style panic dreams. I think <laughs> waking panic dreams. I think that's just panic. The other thing, not to freak you out more, but whenever you get like big work done, mm-hmm. you get a bill that says this is what we could charge you, even if they're charging it to the insurance you pay for. Yeah, that piece of paper is often called this is not a bill. And then it's all of the ways in which they could have charged you what your insurance will cover, what other insurances won't cover, and then what you might be liable for at the end of this in several months. Yeah. Yeah, that's a ransom note. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it truly is. But it did tell me that I was allergic to tuna and salmon. Well, that is expensive lesson to learn, but a (laughs) crucial one. But I was puffy. Anyways, okay, so the world of Shaka'an. Shaka'an. Yeah, women have to be claimed by a man, not necessarily romantically, but a man has to be responsible for their well-being. If they are not claimed, then they are free for anybody. Anybody can claim them, and the man who claims them can make any sort of demands that he would like. Right. Very rapey. I mean, so was Kiss (laughs) Train. Fair. The state versus individuals, and I guess, like, there's a question here about what's scarier, because for whatever reason, Kistrin felt gross, but like less scary than like the idea that you could be walking around the street and some super buff shirtless dude is like, you're not wearing a ribbon. You belong with me. And I'm like, that's actually terrifying. But like, there is something for me, like if I were posed with the question of, do I want to live on Kistrin's or do I want to live on Shaka'an? It's hard because Shaka'an has animals and plants. It's very lush. Giant bathtub rooms. They don't have bathtubs on Kistrin. That's okay, true. Decision made. Which, no bathtubs? Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. She gets a UV light. Yeah. That's right. And that was my favorite scene in the whole thing is her getting ready because it's just like this magic science thing where it just happens. And she's like, I want pink hair. And boom, it's done. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's like one of those super fun makeover scenes. Yes. It was my movie montage. <laughs> it was exactly what I wanted. One of my favorite scenes in the book was when she gets into a bathtub for the first time and she's in water, physically in water for the first time. It is like Joanna Lindsay being very good at writing, but she was able to describe the sensation while still being like icked out by it. Yeah, (laughs) it was some really lovely writing. I I really liked that. Yeah, and I think like it's a testament to Joanna Lindsay that she's like set up various terrifying places for a competent woman to find herself vulnerable. I think like the ick factor of like being submerged in water for the first time as an adult human being is really good. <laughs> but also there are like lots of ick factors in the book. Yeah. I like this book is dealing with bad feeling in such a critically important way that I wanna mm. talk about reverse Viagra. Oh yeah. What was that called? Diajuice. So there's a juice that warriors on Shaka'an take to dull their sexual senses. It's reverse Viagra. They can't get a hard on. And there's a scene where uh, our hero, Challen, has actually taken it the first time he meets her. And she doesn't know that. For the hunt! Doesn't know that this is (laughs) And so, like, they're wrestling on the ground and he doesn't get a heart on. He keeps thinking, thank God, thank God I have this juice because otherwise I'd be, like, all over this human. And then later on, he takes it and she can't get a rise out of him. And it's gutting. She gets very upsetting for her. 
She's very hurt by it. He also uses sexual arousal as a punishment. Yeah. So we are immediately introduced to this idea of corporal punishment in Challen's world. And then it is revealed to us that it is getting the woman very aroused without her coming. Right. That's it. That's the physical punishment. Yep. And she has a really hard time with it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> that theme of orgasm denial being a punishment and a trope thing is fine. I guess, you know, I have my own personal feelings about that not being fine, but I understand that for others that's a yeah. thing. It cool. is like a fetish. Like you can look up pornography yeah. up hedging. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like it's the sexual assailant torture. And then my real problem is he's like, lol, don't remember. So it's all good. And she was really tormented by that. A, the physical actions, but B, the idea, more importantly, the idea that he wasn't attracted to her. And I think that's what makes it, that was the most heartbreaking part in the book. Like the external action was bad, but in her mind, there was this absolutely staggering vulnerability that I think, and I could see in my Kindle copy that so many people had highlighted this passage. There was hundreds of highlights on it. And I think, bam, another 80s moment, women feeling like their worth was tied up to their sexual allure, which is a theme that's established from the very beginning of the book of like Tedra's hot. Everyone knows that. Everyone wants to ban Tedra. She uses her sexual appeal as a weapon in like the first encounter she has with other humans. And then this thing of not being seen as attractive, this fear and vulnerability around not being seen as attractive, so not being seen as valuable. That Mm -hmm. theme really resonated with readers. And I can see why. Ah. There's a huge kind of feeling sucker punch right in the middle of this other random (laughs) bullshit. So yeah. Yeah, it really is. And if you would like more content about that sensation, I think about the final monologue from season one of Fleabag, where she's talking to the guy who she's had a problem with throughout the series and basically says, I don't know, I don't want to ruin it. But if you're into that kind of thing, the final monologue of season one of Fleabag, I could not rewatch the first season because I was so wrecked by it. Mm -hmm. Because it it is something that I think even the most evolved of us, and I think like, yeah, Tidra is presented to us as like one of the most evolved, like independent, self-sufficient women, she's still torn asunder by that. Mm. So it kind of is one of those things where Joanna Lindsay in particular breaks the fantasy of like the romance novel Mm. because she's so comfortable with writing bad feeling. Yeah, Mm. and I think like it doesn't surprise me at all, Esme, that you point out that hundreds of people have highlighted this because I think in so many ways, like Joanna Lindsay like loves to paint with all of the colors in the box and she's like doing this thing. I mean, we're in space with barbarians who have swords, but also the ability of space travel and like here's a moment that is so essentially human and break the earnestness and maybe even the fantasy, as you say, Morgan, of what a romance is supposed to do but resonates like it is like Mm. the ripple in a still pond that like so many readers are like that's something that's happened to me that's a feeling I identify like that's an experience that speaks to me and I think like that's one of the things about this book where it's like there's so many problems but the fact that Joanna Lindsay can still like call into full being this awful feeling and then the fact that Challen doesn't remember it is like both lets him off the hook and like also like 
like is the excuse of then the forgiveness for it's like he understands that she feels terrible and he feels bad about that but he doesn't know the particulars which means yeah. like he doesn't have to wrestle with it yeah but it's also being like getting blackout drunk right oh he was drunk he didn't know what he was doing kind right. of yeah. thing yeah reasons and excuses sometimes overlap in like really horrible ways and <laughs> yeah. that moment I'm, I called it an 80s moment and I really shouldn't have because the more I think about it and you're right like there are similarities to Fleabag like that's still something that women grapple with now that thing of like how do I feel about my value what are the things that make me feel value and I still think that attraction thing and not even just in a general sense because that's one of the things that I think Fleabag does so well around things that you'd feel embarrassed to admit and still feel like you're a feminist is that I do like being seen as attractive and I do want to be seen as attractive and my value yeah. is tied up on that and I can pretend that I don't give a shit about it in public because I, I my feminism expects that of me to yeah. another degree like in private that's still a really horrible thing but then <laughs> yeah and then but that fucking day of juice like that is their magic solution so that men don't do raping instead of yeah. like maybe your willpower and your brains and stuff and I'm still yeah. seeing that play out in real life too like we now talk about men drinking too much and that's a really yeah. good comparison point it's like the only thing the only surefire way to stop rape from happening isn't carrying your keys it's not limiting how much you drink it isn't being careful of where you go it's men not raping yeah <laughs> that is the sole cause yeah <laughs> that's the kit and caboodle that's the kit and caboodle and I think that's where you know because we're so entrenched in it and I've started identifying with like the structure of a Joanna Lindsay heroine so much it loosens things up for me but you're exactly right Esme like the ultimate thing is like these are excuses and these are not actual explanations and these mm. are ways of not dealing with a real problem and these are ways of creating a non-problem if he just didn't take the day of juice like he would have been attracted to her and everything would have been fine and normal as opposed to like if he didn't take the day of juice like he would have raped her that's a so wild hard dichotomy. point to grapple with as now and reading it in 2019 and tw- not 2019 in 20. 20- 20. It is a hard thing to grapple with. And it is, I know, I know a lot of people talk about concepts like this and things like that and, and consent making stories less exciting. But I thoroughly believe in the imaginations and the creativity of our writers and authors today to find ways to make that interesting, to make that work. You could still do a really conflicted premise with these characters now and not have it be a magic juice solution. And I thoroughly believe that if Johanna Lindsay was alive now and rewriting and rewriting this stuff, she'd be the one who I would try to do it because she's got a brilliant imagination. Exactly. I would like to read her last book, which I think was published in 2017 yeah. and was a Mallory Anderson. Mm-hmm. Do you know who writes really good, really sexy consent? Esme Brett. <laughs> I was on. like, I've got a whole list of people in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I got a plug in! <laughs> well, yeah, thank you. I've been surprised by how many people have mentioned that their favorite part of that is that there's not just consent, but like trying to make the act of checking in and affirming consent and boundaries part of the fun and part of the sexual encounter. And the very fact that people remark on it is something that teaches me like, oh, wow, this still isn't normal. There's still a lot of work to do normalizing this thing. Because if I stand out, I'm not happy <laughs> with that. Like, I don't want to stand out. I want that to be the norm. <laughs> not to totally diverge, but Isabel and I talk a lot about 
about, you know, romances that have been recently published that people take are like, wow, feminist. They still have this like clunky version of consent that's like, welcome to a very special episode of having sex with somebody. And <laughs> yeah. like, it's just not, anyways, you did a really good job. That's all I'm going to say. Excellent. Yeah. Your book is available on Amazon for anyone who wants oh, it. Exactly. It's called I Eyes On. Everybody should get it. <laughs> This week's episode of Womance is sponsored by Lola. You guys know Lola. Lola is a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, and liners. And now they offer sex products too, which is obviously uh, pretty much always in our wheelhouse. Unlike other major brands, Lola products are 100% natural, easy to feel good about, no BS, mystery fibers, or doubts about what's going on in your body. Plus, Lola products come in a simple, customizable subscription. You've got three heavy flow days. You've got other kinds of needs. You want 10 condoms rather than five. Lola got you covered. And you make a really good point because now with Lola's line of sex products, including condoms, personal lubricant, and personal wipes, you can actually have that added on to your monthly period subscription. Mm -hmm. So you never run out of what you need when you need it. The ease of that subscription. I know. One of the things I like most about the personal lubricant is that it has a one-click pump system for a mess free experience. You want your mess the way you want your mess and not from your product, if you know what I mean. Exactly. And I have very sensitive skin and I put the personal lubricant on the back of my hand and nothing has happened besides being unable to keep my hand stable anywhere. It's just <laughs> all over the place. My number one favorite thing about the personal lubricant is that when you purchase it, Lola will actually donate feminine care products to homeless shelters across the U.S. with every purchase you make. So it's feel good feel good and feel good. <laughs> so we got the Lola Sex Kit, which is a beautiful kit. It comes with condoms. It comes with the wipes. It also comes with the personal lubricant in a fetching little pouch that you can carry your products in, as well as a little guide to how to use everything, as well as a guide to having like a healthy and productive sex life, which is really important. What I really like about the condoms, and I didn't expect to like it this much, is it's one of those things where like you don't know you need it until you see it. And seeing like what I would consider like a very classy gender neutral packaging mm -hmm. that isn't focused on like helping a guy feel okay about using a condom feels really good to have. Yeah. Imagine having women at the head of a female hygiene company and how those kinds of things where you're not going to make somebody feel like effed up about the condoms that they're buying or using. Yeah. And it's also nice to like have a personal lubricant that isn't like making jokes about it. Yeah. That's <laughs> That's actually something that I was like, I didn't know I wanted this in my life until I had it. Yeah. So it's just one of the many things like feel personally empowered mm -hmm. <laughs> with your Lola uh, sex product. So that is one of the reasons that we are super excited that our listeners get, holy shit, 30% off your first month subscription. Visit mylola.com and enter whoa, that's W-H-O-A when you subscribe. I literally worked in retail and people were psyched about a 30% off retail discount. So this is really good. Once again, to get 30% off your first month subscription, visit mylola, M-Y-L-O-L-A.com and enter code WOW, W-H-O-A, when you subscribe. One last thing that I want to bring up. If you've got young folks in your life who are just beginning their sexual journey, Lola is your one-stop 
shop. Not only does it answer questions thoughtfully and fully and carefully, but it answers questions that some young people might be afraid to ask. I know as a young person who went to high school in Missouri. <laughs> as a young person who went to high school in Kansas. <laughs> right. Lola answered a lot of questions that I had. Lingering issues. <laughs> queries. Queries. And it the booklet does. booklet was great. The booklet's great. And it does so in a gender neutral way that is actually informational without any of the philosophizing that the booklet often comes was with great, it. And we would know we read a lot of sex books. Truth. <laughs> so absolutely exploit our 30% off. Get a sex kit for the young adult in your life. Get condoms, personal lubricant, and wipes for yourself, along with your totally organic cotton tampons, pads, whatever you prefer. Applicator, no applicator, whatever your jam is, Lola has your back. With that, mwah. Mwah. So a lot of the sexual encounters in this book were um, a whole thing, <laughs> a whole thing in a bucket. The virgin scene where she's like screaming is really horrid, really horrible. Yes. To read. And then at the end, spoiler, we can cut this out if we don't. We can, no, we can spoil, <laughs> we spoil okay. here. The part at the end where she's like, oh, I like being dominated by a big, strong man. It's like, yeah, yeah hun, that was fucking obvious. <laughs> from the <first. laughs> Yeah, it's very late revelation it's like we know pet we know <laughs> there is actually a point where she talks so she's a very tall character she's a very mm. like toned character and she's tall for her planet and she talks about being frustrated with how short the men on her planet are mm -hmm. the minute she sees these mercenaries she's like wow hubba hubba yeah. and then like she even talks about how she designed her android to look like her ideal man and she's like now he seems pretty fey <laughs> <laughs> she manages to be very insulting to men. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Her evaluation. You need the word you is used. How how problematic and toxic is the word puny? True. Or just like other depictions of heterosexual dudes who are just somehow lacking in their masculinity and they're somehow denuded in a very particular way, like through both their size, mm -hmm. but also the fact that they're like not throwing women around and being possessive. Yeah. Or like yeah. toxic masculinity is the only sexy masculinity. Exactly. Tux yes. Yeah, this like toxic masculinity is the only sexy masculinity. I wish I could say that's a very 80s part of this book or even a very 90s part of this book, but it happens all the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> and this very think, day. Yeah. And there's a common theme of like an alpha must be an asshole. And I, I don't think that's true. I feel like in some ways the scariest men are the incel-esque beta types anyway. Yeah. But also you can have an alpha who's awesome and respectful and still an alpha and I think that all that package builds into something that I think Joanna does in this book extremely well and was so ahead of her time if that's an appropriate thing to say I don't intend that as a shady thing at all around like a woman <laughs> experiencing desire without guilt and also having mm -hmm. a break from power and responsibility like novels in the 1980s and the 90s were huge on that theme of how can a woman enjoy sexual encounters and a healthy sexuality without getting the bad end of all the judgment and all the bad things around that and right, yeah. a lot of lot of novels being written today are also still just working within that same
same theme and how can we give women that kind of break and a lot of the time it becomes a consent issue but even in situations in books that have non-consent there still has to be a broader kind of consent around that like there has to be parameters there has to be trust and all those things established and so I think that from that perspective this book is is really doing some interesting stuff yeah that is really true like when we think about when she chooses to lose her virginity like Mm -hmm. it's a rough scene the sex scene is rough but she has made up her mind that she wants to like I, I would say she feels undue pressure to lose her virginity I would also say like I think a 25 year old in our moment would probably feel undue pressure to lose their mm-hmm. virginity but I don't think that says anything about us being like so this is pretty evolved like no <laughs> yeah. right and I think like one of the other things that's interesting about these scenes especially because like this idea of prizing virginity the way that like romances of this moment do and like maybe even culturally now, we do culturally we do like one of the things that's crazy is like she doesn't tell him and like that idea of being like I'm gonna hold this secret and then like how that changes his internal calculus mm-hmm. when he finds out in the sex act and he's like I would have done things differently but I didn't so this is what we're doing and I'm like mm. always weird yeah there's also the consent issue of the pregnancy mm. so Joanna oh, Lindsay yeah. when you pick up a JL <laughs> the heroine is gonna have a baby Secret or be baby. pregnant by the end and somebody's getting spanked yes the heroine <laughs> so I want to talk about the baby and I want to talk about the spanking great <laughs> so on both planets there is really effective birth control yeah on Kistrin it is everybody it's like birth control is in your food there is no such thing as a parent you're like genetically grown in a sack just like that sheep was which is wild to think that uh, <laughs> Joanna Lindsay predicted this <laughs> I just uh, didn't see that comparison coming but you're so right <laughs> yeah there's a sheep raised in a bag from an embryo and then on the planet Shuk'an as long as you're pretty consistently drinking daya juice you can't get a woman pregnant and the ultimate gift to a woman is to get her with child in a family way as they say as they say and so our hero stops taking his daya juice without telling our heroine what the implications of that are even though he knows that she doesn't know because Mm. her computer has told him the limits of her information about daya juice because he thought the computer yeah so also martha is like in on the thing about like getting her secret pregnant which is like martha what the fuck are you doing martha's the worst like the worst oh also ridley scott stole the meditech unit Mm -hmm. from joanna Lindsay. sure that was in prometheus so although our heroine chooses not to get the abortion yeah she's like i'm just gonna do it i'm gonna do it the old-fashioned way because that's right and good with his traditions and they're like no one's done that on your planet in hundreds of years and she's like i'll figure it out she's like i'll be fine (laughs) girl do you think they have really good hospitals and like safe cesarean sections on shuck on no no i don't (laughs) think they do you just like you just force that brat out of your hip if you can and if you can't i'm feeling very anxious very stressful line of discussion. (laughs) It makes her, at the conclusion of the novel, it makes her whole. I want to read the final. Mm -mm. May I? Mm -hmm. Oh no. So he finally tells her he loves her. He has bamboozle married her Mm -hmm. via his culture's wedding vow process, which is just to say something to the woman. He has gotten her pregnant without telling her. He's never said he loved her. And then she had her words whispered against her lips. Warriors do not love ellipses. 
They should not, ellipses. But here's one who does. I love you, woman. My heart cries with how much I love you. Oh, challenge! Tidra cried. He sighed. This was to make you happy. I am! She wailed. <laughs> As you were at the giving of the Fimbear, which is like a cat thing. Yes! The warrior could only shake his head, grinning. But Martha was laughing her head off as the viewing scene behind them went blank. So Martha watched them have sex prior to that (laughs) and then laughed her head off. And then went blank. And then went blank after she agreed that him saying I love you was better than getting a pet cat. Weirdest part. I think our guests start. I think so too. The weirdest part. I uh, I feel like they're ending, to be honest, because it's like, here's the sort of scraps from my emotional table, and she's like, wow, I'm the luckiest girl. <laughs> this and, was to make you happy. <laughs> yeah. That sums up a lot of the things that were batshit. <laughs> weirdest part for you, Isabel. Oh, when he surprises her with a meeting with his parents and doesn't tell her that they're his parents and that they're important. And then he's like, here's this alien human woman that I am like, Jeff, going to marry and impregnate. And they're like, cool, son. And she's like, who the fuck are these people? Why are you talking to them this way? It's like there was absolutely no prep beforehand for either party and challenge. Just like, these are my decisions. Get on board. And also like no real reference to them before or after. Like yeah. it was like he was an orphan. Consider the fact that our heroine comes from a culture without okay. parents, yeah. so she only understands it as an abstract idea and not mm-hmm. like a concrete reality. It reminds me of there's an HBO documentary about like all the problems with anthropology scholarship, and one of them is anthropologists, I suppose, of any gender but men, <laughs> go to the jungle and get married to girls as young as sixteen, and and then bring them back to the U.S. And I discovered my college anthropology professor did this. And his wife, who he brought back over to the United States, he was originally from Canada, was living in the U.S. Like the only language she spoke was native to the Amazon. People outside of the Amazon don't really study it. My university would get huge grants because this guy was teaching it. Like one time I saw them in the grocery store and the woman checking them out tried to speak to her in Spanish and she just like went blank. And then he translated for her, but she also didn't speak English. And it's like, that's not... What kind of that's life? Not, yeah, what kind of life is that? And like, so that's basically what he did. Yeah, exactly. This stuff happens. Yeah, it does. That's the frightening thing. Like, I think I tend to think about this book in isolation. And then we've actually, in the course of this discussion, pulled out so many parallels um, to our lives and to other current content, which yeah. is the scary part. And I was thinking just before about the whole juice thing and it being dude's job to have women under their control who they are responsible for and I was thinking about this like literally just last night I was out in Wellington and was having some drinks and was walking with my partner we were walking down the street and a dude bumped into me and then really obviously like and grossly like looked me up and down and checked me out and passed his opinion on that and I was like ugh like and just keep moving like you don't engage with that stuff you keep moving and he didn't see my partner and then he saw my partner who was male and said oh sorry bro sorry I didn't see you there too 
him. So he does this gross thing to me and then apologizes to another dude. I'm like, that that literally, and in that interaction, I was literally like a fucking sandwich. <laughs> like, yeah. I was not a person there and he only apologized to my partner because of an insult to his sense of ownership and yeah. property. And my partner said, don't apologize to me, man. But like, yeah. that, that's still the same theme. That's still the same, yeah. the same thing present. Like, <sighs> how depressing is that? There's yeah. also like, what's the final way you get a man to stop speaking with you who you don't want to talk to? I'm married. I have a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then they leave you alone. Well, they listen amazingly. to that. They respect that yeah. line more. Not all men. A lot of men <laughs> will respect that line far more than any line a woman draws herself, no matter the validity yeah. of anything. It's just the fact that she drew it. Yeah, exactly. Like, even if you're like, hey, I don't really want to talk to you. Hey, I'm not interested. Then you have to explain why you're not interested. Whereas, like, when they ignore you, when you, like, have to wait half an hour to place your order, the bartender doesn't have to come over and explain to you why he didn't notice you. But it is. It's like everyone being like, because patriarchy. Like, no, it's like very real, everyday ramifications. I have a coworker and she went to a networking event and she felt like she'd made a really good professional connection. She came to work the next day, super excited about it. She was like, this is going to work out great. And then within two hours, 9 a.m. in the morning on company time, this guy emails her and is like, hey, great to meet you at the networking event last night. On a personal note, I would love to get a drink with you sometime. Dot, dot, dot. I'll leave Gary or whoever at home. Winky face. From his professional email to her professional email. And we brought this up to our supervisor and she was like, oh, we should probably get you like a fake wedding ring. (laughs) As if that was like, oh, that will solve the problem. Yeah. That, to be honest, yeah, probably will. Probably would. That would solve the problem. I was like, if you're going to get her one, you should put it on the company credit card. (laughs) My weirdest part. Your weirdest part. My weirdest part. I want to talk about the fact that Challen has a friend who believes in aliens. (laughs) And at no point does Challen (laughs) acknowledge that he's right at the end of the book. (laughs) That is weird. (laughs) Very weird. It's like gaslighting. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, you're going to love this. Bib, bib, tell him where you're from. <laughs> and his eyes get big. And then he even is allowed to witness her saving his life after this mining accident. That is her fault because she nudged a beam with her foot. And everyone's like, oh, my God, you're so bad. But it's like maybe your infrastructure was the real villain here. Excellent reflection. So his friend helps her, like, take him up to her ship, heal him, put him back and she's like you can never talk about this this poor guy is known as like the guy who believes in aliens <laughs> given all of this evidence and he has to stay quiet about it i felt bad for him yeah that is mean my overall weirdest part was the hug robot <laughs> The friend who believes in aliens, like he definitely seems like the star of his own young adult spin-off novel yeah. series. Like, I think he is the subject of the second book in this series. I hope okay. so. He must be. It was such a weird place to leave it otherwise. I know. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. Sexiest bit. You want to start, Esme? Sexiest oh, me in the start. I don't know if the sexiest fine. bit. You don't have to, I have my sexiest bit. So like, Esme's only doing her sexiest, sexiest bit, bit, so you can't steal hers. Go, Esme. <laughs> <laughs> 
true. That's why I go first. Because I think nobody can take it. It's mine. So we've talked a lot about already like bad feeling and bad sex scenes and like the laying down of power and like how that's like an 80s and 90s trope. Like what do we do with a woman with like shoulder pads and like corporate <laughs> experience? Like what is she going to do? She's got sneakers in her bag. There's no stopping her. Exactly. She can conquer the world. New Jerusalem. I love working girl. That's actually the first thing we bonded about because my cover photo on Facebook was Harrison Ford drinking the tropical <laughs> yeah, exactly. drink the wedding, but he, yeah. I love that. Anyway, aside, there's this scene where she gets on top of Challen and is like, I'm going to take power and like you have to take it. And this is punishment for how you punished me. Like mm. this is how you're going to perform a mea culpa. You're not going to move. And like we get all of his internality and he's just like so so turned on and so terrified. And I was like, speak to me more about your terror. That was my sexiest bit. Yeah, it's a real literal turning of the tables. Like, not only is he aroused, but he's also afraid. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and it is part of his apology tour for arousing her without completion. For hours. For hours. Made her feel bad. All right, Esme, you go now. I think mine is sexy adjacent. All right. Rather than sexy moment per se but that moment even though it comes late in the book the moment where she talks about she really likes that he dominates her she says that she's become addicted to his special brand of domination and that she really liked it and it made her feel really loved and made her feel happy I like that she came to that realization she was like hey this thing that's not for other people this is my yum I like this and even though that felt like a really 11th hour revelation it's like girl yes we know it's been very apparent this whole book but I'm glad you too came to this realization. I like that moment, that moment of just embracing what she found sexy and what she enjoyed was really great. I feel bad about this because (laughs) I have a real problem with sex scenes that occur on Beast of Burden because I do believe that horses and animals did not have to be a part of it. That's my weirdest scene answer. I forgot about that craziness. Totally forgot until this. Okay, take us through. Yeah. Okay, so they're like on their little adventure back to his hometown or whatever, and he lets everybody else go ahead of them, and he starts to. I might be conflating some scenes, but the scene in which he starts heavy petting her on not horseback, but whatever the creature is back. Creature back. Creature back. Uh, horse adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> adjacent. As me for the win. <laughs> Your choice was sexy adjacent minus horse adjacent. <laughs> I usually hate these scenes to the point where I'm actively like repulsed by it. The idea that like you have this relationship with this animal, like you can't think of it as like an inanimate object and yet you're treating it like you're like the sofa in your parents' basement. Like I hate that. But her sexual awakening in the scene through her nipples and through, and she becomes like hyper aware of like all of the sensations around her. I'm going to go ahead and admit that I found that sexy, but that was my sexiest part. The other thing that I found really sexy was like the aesthetic mm-hmm. of Shaka On, which is all very like vellumy dresses mm-hmm. and sunshine and not olive oil. But it's like this very like kind of Grecian Roman, yeah. Yeah. Look that I found very sexy. Yeah. I was basically just imagining Spartacus 
Mm. Blood and sand or like the Spartacus? No, like blood and sand. Like yeah, golden yeah, yeah. dawn. <laughs> and like lanterns and silk. If you guys haven't seen Spartacus, blood and sand, might I recommend it highly? Yeah, it was one of the first full series on Netflix. It was so good. All right. So I actually think this is going to be a hard question for me. I, when we originally recorded, it was an easy question for me. But I think revisiting it to re-prepare for this show and kind of having the depth and breadth of Lindsay behind us, I, I do feel like this is going to be a trickier question for me but is it a womance or is it a nomance I totally agree with you that my answer has actually completely changed. I don't think I was thinking about the context enough and I don't think I was thinking about the follow-on effect. And I promise that I am not the kind of reviewer who can't change their mind. I do now think that this one this one gets the romance from me. Oh, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Like what changed for you this read-through? Like besides just context. Able to better anchor it to its point in time and yeah. focus more my brain on what it did really well rather than what it did badly I think I was able to yeah put my own time zone on it a bit better I think I think yeah. I'm sure if it's us a third time I might swing back around I don't know <laughs> I think that's actually right and I think like again this is actually a very tricky question my answer to feels like it's shifted and the nuance of this is like I think people should read this book I think if you're gonna like think about romance and mm. its problems and like the mm. way it tackles issues and maybe like lets itself off the hook like this is actually a romance novel par excellence of like mm. good things, bad things, breaking fantasy on purpose. Yeah. Um, and in that way, it's like, it's actually very well done and very complicated as well as absurd. Yeah. <laughs> like, Never forget that it is absurd. <laughs> uh, like they rescue their planet in the last like seven pages of yeah. the book, like out of literally nowhere. Yeah. It's good, but it's not so good that you don't see like the chewing gum and fishing line and right. welded joints. Like you see <laughs> all of it, all of the good parts, all the bad parts. It feels right. Guess that this was written over a longer period of time. Mm. It is complicated. I think I've also recently, and I don't know for you guys about your other reading around Johannuary. But I think I've read more space stuff, more sexy space books <laughs> since. And I think like comparatively where it sits in that landscape, I like it a lot more than I've liked others. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about sexy space books because one of the things I know I feel confidently about mm-hmm. <laughs> is that Joanna Lindsay loves Vikings mm-hmm. and she loves mm-hmm. medieval and she basically wrote one of those books in space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> the way like she really rapidly gets us out of Kistrin and has this like more historical person mm-hmm. conquer that futuristic mm-hmm. world and set it to right in a way that I think speaks to an overall love and interest for that point in history. Mm-hmm. But also like, is she really writing a sci-fi romance? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, she's writing a sci-fi romance. But like, you know, if we take like a Darko Suvin definition, like fair enough. It's science fiction. Yeah. But is it really like, is that really what this is? So I want to dip into your wellspring of knowledge as may <laughs> and ask you how this compares to other sci-fi or intergalactic romance. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert at all. <laughs> and I can think of so many of my friends on Instagram who are, who are like screaming, hearing me say this because <laughs> I'm not, not the right person to talk about this. I think your point about this feeling like a vibe 
hacking novel, but in a space context is so accurate. That's such a good, good reflection. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I did it. You did. I see where you're coming from, Isabel. Mm-hmm. And I also see where you're coming from, Esme. But if I think of the fact that we have limited time on this planet, and perhaps you, listener, are not a romance reviewer or someone with a podcast, I love the cover. It is a hoot. Like, if you read romance for, like, a hoot, <laughs> read Warrior's Woman. It's a romance for you. But I'm going to say, in general, for people who are reading romance, are looking to start in the genre because the first read is so visceral. <laughs> Good point. I would say it's a romance. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mm. It's a no for me. Any parting thoughts? I want um, more covers embossed with this purple and silver. People really yes. invested. This is expensive. This is three-dimensional. This is hand-painted. This is foiled. Mm-hmm. I want more of this Investor in my life. Romance. I agree. And more scrunchies for covers, please. Yeah. Obviously. More scrunchies for covers. I understand why cartoon covers are popular. People are fearful of reading something like this on the train. I understand. But, like, this is what I'm most looking forward to with romance mainstreaming again mm-hmm. is the investment in the cover. I'm very mm-hmm. much looking forward to it. They won't do it ever again, but I'm really happy that Isabeau has this mm-hmm. so that I can kill her and take it for myself. If I die <laughs> unexpectedly, I'll will it to you. Great. <laughs> well, no you just signed your own. <laughs> what if you died expectedly? If dead <laughs> unexpectedly, give to Morgan. If died expectedly. Great question. <laughs> all right i'll be sure to make it look not. like an accident yeah i don't know what i'm supposed to do there all right any parting thoughts uh no thank you so much uh, for coming on twice and helping us where can our listeners find you if they haven't done so already although i would be surprised if they have uh, you can find me on Instagram at feminist underscore romance. And my 2020 resolution is to get better at Twitter and use my Twitter. I have no one to talk to on here, so come talk to me on Twitter. <laughs> Someone once told me that my sassy reckons are a much better fit for Twitter than Instagram, and it took me two years, but I'm finally like, hmm, I might have a point. <laughs> yes, I'm trying to use my Twitter. Come hang and talk to me. I actually found you completely organically on Instagram because I was following. I don't know, a hashtag and you popped up on it and your image was arresting. You do really good pictures. Mm-hmm. Isabel and I are trying to do a similar thing, but with shitty backgrounds. And it was like beautiful. And then your emoji summary. And it was a, emoji I can't summary. remember which book it was, but I had read it and I like, this is exactly it. Very funny, very concise. I just uh, highly very personally kind. recommend following you on Instagram. Full of utility is what I would say. Full of utility. Reviews are. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Don't <laughs> yourself on Goodreads. Just find one person you trust. Exactly. That's the right way to do it. Yeah. And it should be us. But if it's not us, it, it better be us. <laughs> okay. So two places that you trust. <laughs> All right. With that, loosen your stays. Never your principles. Mwah. Whoa, golly gee. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of 
Womance. Womance is hosted by Isabel. That's me. And Morgan. That's me. Production is by Nick Gravelin. Our webmistress is the incomparable Jane Bonzak. And our illustration and logo were created by Mary Reichman. They're the best. If you'd like to follow, creep, or connect with us on our social media platforms, you can find us at mans underscore woe on Twitter, womance on Instagram, or email at womancemail at gmail.com. You can also hang out on our amazing website at womancepodcast.com. You can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our Patreon where we are Womance. Womance is officially part of the Frog podcast network discover more podcasts just like our own centering on romance and reading at frolic.media slash podcast until next week Mwah.